We are in our October series that we have, uh, we're doing this month that is called No Fear. And uh, as you can see, there's, we're looking at the N-O and the K-N-O-W. We're, we've been talking about knowing the fear of God, the walking in the fear of the Lord, which is not about being afraid of God, but about living uh, a life of honor and respect and living in awe of him, living a life of worship to God. And that if we live that in our life, then we can live with no fear. We don't have to fear anything else if we fear God and respect God and honor God with our life. So uh, last we kind of introed the series, or the, uh, the, the fear of the Lord part. Two weeks ago, Peter Warren actually introed the series for us, talking about the character of God and the Father heart of God. And today we're gonna continue on with this, uh, with this message. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. I'm gonna read my text verse out of 1 Peter 1. Uh, we just like to stand here in honor of reading God's word together. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. The title of my message today is The Holy and the Common. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you today. We love you. We're so great, uh, grateful to be in your presence today. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, that you would make your presence evident in this place today. God, that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do. Transform us, make us more into your image because of today and what's happening in this place today. And we pray that you would receive all the glory and the honor for it and that my words would be your words and God, that it would do the work that it is set out to do in our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So if I was to take a poll of everybody in the room and even those online and say, uh, would you want to go deeper in your faith? I think pretty much all of us would probably say, yes, I'd like, to, I'd like to go deeper in my faith. And that's our heart for you too. In fact, it's one of the main reasons this church exists. Our mission statement of this church is to, uh, uh, to, what is it, how does it start? I have to remember, to reach those, I couldn't think of the first word, <laughs> to reach those far from God and to lead people to their next step in a God-first life. That second part is about helping people go deeper in their walk, taking the next step, going depths of their faith. But I think oftentimes people feel helpless, don't really know how to do it necessarily, maybe feel overwhelmed or under-equipped to really go deeper in their faith. And it's part of the reason we did this series this month is because there's a level of, uh, there's a depth of faith that cannot be reached in our life if we don't have an understanding of the fear of the Lord. To get past the, the surface level, there has to be an understanding of God's holiness and who he is and knowing him for who he is and, and understanding uh, who you are in relation to him. That all falls under kind of the idea of the, spirit, of the fear of the Lord. And uh, you know, two of the most important aspects of your walk of faith are the love of God and the holiness of God. And you have to have them both. It can't, everything in your faith can't just be focused on his love. You also have to understand his holiness as well, which is something we talked about last week. And the fear of the Lord is about his holiness. It's about uh, living in such a way in reverence to him because he is holy. But even the fear of the Lord can be a difficult thing to understand for some people. 
for some of us, it just based on where you are in life maybe, or maybe just um, uh, maybe a lack of understanding of the word, or maybe you're newer in your faith, and it just can be challenging. But that's, that's what we're doing this month, is hopefully to help, help us to walk in and understand the fear of the Lord. You see, there was a time in the church, and I'm not some church history buff by any means, but I, I know even in my lifetime, back when I was really young, that it seemed like the message of the church oftentimes was about fearing the Lord, not even the fear of the Lord, but literally being afraid of God. A lot of the preaching was centered around uh, scaring us into living a life for God. You know, we talk about a lot about the wrath of God and the judgment and, you know, hellfire and brimstone and things like that. And everything, you know, we had to, everything in our life had to be holy. You know, there was a, uh, it, was, it was very common if you were a Christian, you know, 50, 60 years ago that, that uh, your life, like you walked the straight and narrow, right? You, you, you pretty much did what you were supposed to do. You know, you stayed away from the secular. Christian music, I mean, uh, Christians didn't listen to secular music much. Uh, they sure didn't dance, because that, that's, that's an automatic ticket to away from God, you know what I mean? Uh, and you didn't watch TV, because, you know, I, I think people used to call that like the devil's box, the TV, back when it was still like a cube and it was real big and boxy, not like it is today where it's just a panel on a wall. But uh, everything in our life, we, it had to be about the holiness all the time in every aspect of our life. And then it seemed like in the last couple decades or so, 20, 30 years, that the pendulum has kind of swung the other way in a lot of senses where it's, it was about the grace of God without not really much, focusing much on the holiness of God, but just the grace, just how much God loves us and how we almost, you know, sometimes you almost get the idea that he almost doesn't care what you do as long as you just love him, just receive his grace and his love. And, it kind of, it can get over there too far sometimes where it's just about how much God loves you and not really much about his holiness. So it went from where everything had to be holy to where almost nothing was holy. And obviously the, the, the balance that we are called to have is that these two are supposed to work together. That holiness and the love of God would work together because if it's just about the love of God, what that does is it breeds this idea in us that we actually deserve to go to heaven where I just deserve it because God loves me so much. I'm obviously really special, and so I deserve heaven. And if, if you think you deserve heaven for any reason whatsoever, it really means you don't understand the gospel because none of us actually deserve heaven. All of us deserve to be separated from God for eternity, but because of what he did for us, even in his holiness and in his love for us, we get to be with him forever if we live our life for him. And it's so important to, to build this foundation to understand this as we move on for the rest of this month. Um, because, you know, as much as God's plan for us isn't, uh, it's not that we would be afraid of him. In fact, I want to clarify again, like I did last week, the fear of the Lord is not about being afraid of God. Because I grew up afraid of God in a lot of ways. It's not about being afraid of him. It's about understanding how to honor him with our life how to revere him, how to stand in awe of who he is, and really to live your life as worship to him. That's what the fear of the Lord is really about. And we kind of introed it last week uh, about not being afraid of him and, um, and understanding what the fear of the Lord is. And so one of the most convincing reasons for us to even pursue the fear of the Lord, make it a priority in our life, is found in my text verse that I read out of 1 Peter where Peter says that you must be holy in everything you do, that we are called to holiness in our life. This is New Testament, this is for the early church, or it was written during the early church, and it's for the church today that we would live holy. The expectation 
for us that are born again is that we would be holy. Now, this can make us kind of get up in arms because if you know your Bible, you can say, well, the Bible's pretty clear that only God is holy, that he's the only one that's holy. It says it in the Old Testament and the New. And not only that, the New Testament tells us that we are sinners in need of a savior and that we all, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the holiness of God in life. So how can I be holy if I can't be holy? Well, there's a distinction here that I want to uh, clarify for you to help give some understanding. Uh, there are two aspects of holiness that the Bible talks about, okay? And one is the positional holiness, but then there's also a practical holiness. The positional holiness is a holiness that you have because of Christ in you. It's the holiness that is, is given to you because of the Holy Spirit in you when you give your life to Jesus. When you step into salvation, you get the Holy Spirit and you are automatically in, the, in positional holiness, which means you are already set apart. You are brought into the family of God. You are considered righteous and pure because of Jesus in you. In fact, there's a verse in Hebrews 10.10 that tells us that it was for God's will, or God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So the moment you get saved, you're instantly made holy, and it has nothing to do with you other than the decision you made to follow Jesus. It's like if a, if a king and queen have a child together, that, that baby boy is a prince immediately, because not because of anything he's done, but because of his association with the king. You are made holy because of your association with the king of kings. That's what God does for us. So there's a positional holiness that happens, but there's also a practical holiness that increases in our life as we mature. That's not about standing necessarily as much, and it's not about being perfect, but it's about being more like him. The holiness that Peter's talking about here is about being more like him. It's, it's being transformed as Paul said in Corinthians, he said to be, we are transformed to be more like him, that we, are, uh, that we reflect him in our life, and it grows in our life more and more as we live. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, so it grows as you walk out this faith. That's the holiness that he's talking about here, and it makes a distinction in life for us when we understand this holiness. There's a distinction between the holy and the common, which is what the title of my message is today, that there, there is a distinction between those two in our life that we can't really understand unless we have the Holy Spirit in us and unless we are understanding his word and walking this out and allowing him to change us and make us more into his image all the time. It's not about trying to become a better person every day. It's about becoming more like him by surrendering ourselves to him and living for him in the fear of the Lord. And then we grow in that holiness day by day. Our life, though very common without God, has been set apart as holy with God. And that's a beautiful thing. Our life is very common without God. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how powerful you are, how great your job is, how much money you make, how much stuff you have, how big your social circle is. Your life is very common apart from God. The only way to have a holy life is in him. And it's, it's a great thing for us as believers to be able to live that out in our life and to pursue that holiness in our life. He says to be holy as I am holy. 
And what that means is that we approach life differently as people who revere and love God. We approach life differently. We don't, we don't focus on the common, we focus on the holy. It means we wanna please him with our life and with the choices we make. That we don't just make choices for ourselves and what's gonna be the best for us, but we consider him in every choice we make because we want to be holy. It's why we study and read this book that's thousands of years old and believe it because we have a distinction between the common and the holy. And we pursue holiness in our life. It's why we trust in a God that we cannot see. That sounds crazy to the world, that we trust in a God we can't see. But the Bible tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, which is holy, not by sight, which is common. There's a distinction there for us that follow Jesus. And it's why we reject the humanist approach to life. The humanism is just the philosophy that the meaning of life is for your happiness. That's the common. The holy says the meaning of life is for the glory of God. It's that we would walk in holiness to glorify him in our life. So what does this have to do with the fear of the Lord? Well, we cannot increase in holiness day by day without the fear of the Lord. If it's just about focusing just on how much he loves us, which I am not minimizing, that is hugely important to understand God's love for you. But if it stops there and you don't have any focus on his holiness and the fear of the Lord, you can't go, there's levels of depth that you can't go to in your faith if you don't understand the fear of the Lord and understand who he is. Because the fear of the Lord is what causes us to really look at who he is and not just how he feels about me. And so it's vitally important in our life. And as we focus on and we walk in and pursue the fear of the Lord, it will help us to distinguish between the holy and the common in our life. And I think we all want that. What's really great is that the fear of the Lord is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, it's not in, you know, in Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not listed in there, but it's absolutely is part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. In fact, uh, Isaiah tells us about this. Isaiah was a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus came and he gave all kinds of prophecies foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Every one of them is 100% accurate. Incredible how the Lord spoke through him to talk about the coming of Jesus. And in, in Isaiah 11 is one of those. And it starts here in verse two, look what it says. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the spirit was, was uh, the evidence of the spirit in Jesus was the fear of the Lord. And the Bible's clear that we have the same spirit that Jesus did, or does, right? Romans 8 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. So we have that same spirit. So that the Holy Spirit in us actually helps us to understand and walk in the fear of the Lord in our life. And that's really great. So how does it produce the fear of the Lord? How does holiness produce the fear of the Lord in our life? Well, like I said, it helps us to distinguish the holy over the common. And I wanna give you a, a few distinctions today that I feel like the Lord led me to and uh, as I studied and prayed this week and uh, this was one of those weeks that uh, it was a uh, I had to I had to struggle through preparing this message uh, which oftentimes is, is a is a good thing 
If it comes too easy, uh, sometimes I don't put in as much work as I need to, but this forced me to really uh, press into the Lord, and I'm really excited about what I feel like he gave me for you guys today. So when we're talking about the holy over the common, we'll start with adoration over admiration. The question is, do you admire Jesus or do you adore him? One is holy and one is common. The common is to admire, the holy is to adore. And I'm gonna unpack this a little bit and break these down for you. I'm sure you know uh, what admire and adore mean, but I'm gonna be specific here on what, what what we're talking about. Admire literally means, the definition of admire is just to warmly approve. If you admire someone, you warmly approve of them. That's a great explanation of that, right? Because when I think of somebody I admire, it's, you know, I have warm thoughts towards them and I approve of what they're doing, right? We, we admire a lot of people. I know I do, I'm sure you do too. I admire people that, uh, that can, especially the ones that can do things that I can't do, right? I admire a heart surgeon because they do something I cannot do. I admire someone that can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour because that's, a, that's an impressive thing and I can't do it. I mean, shoot, I admire someone that can get something off the top shelf without a ladder. So I admire them too. <laughs> but I also admire people that just do their job well. You know, I, I, I like to see, I like competence makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. When I, when I experience that and when I see people doing their job well, I really care about what they're doing. Even if it's something I could do, it's still, it's admirable and I admire it. I admire people that take jobs that force them and cause them to have to sacrifice in their life, you know? Teachers, everybody admires teachers because they obviously sacrificing a lot to teach our children. That's a very thankless job, right? Military, I, I always admire our military personnel, the ones that sign up and are determined to serve our country and obviously make lots of sacrifices. I admire those people. And it's, it's easy and fun to admire them and to have warm thoughts towards them. But all these people that I mentioned have something in common. My admiration for them is based on a quality or a skill that they have. It has nothing to do with relationship. And that's what admiration is. It really doesn't have much to do with relationship usually. Admiration is something where you can just, you don't have to be in a relationship with somebody to admire them. I don't have to know a heart surgeon to admire what he's doing. It doesn't have much to do with relationship in our life. And the downside of admiration is that it can wane when things become inconvenient because it's pretty shallow. Admiration is just a warm feeling, so it's shallow. So if you know that baseball player that you admire so much that's on your favorite team goes into free agency and leaves your favorite team, suddenly he's a jerk. You know it's everything that's not good about that person. Admiration can wane when things are inconvenient. But adoration, to adore, means to love deeply or to worship. So you see this is another level, right? To admire is just a warm thought. To adore is to actually love deeply or to worship. And it is based on relationship. You cannot adore someone you don't have a relationship with. It's not possible. I know we throw that word around flippantly, but you can't adore your favorite baseball player or your favorite influencer or your favorite entertainer. You, you might think you adore them, but you just, at the most, you extremely admire them. But you can't adore someone outside of relationship. So the question is, do you admire Jesus? Do you have warm thoughts towards him? Or do you adore him? Do you deeply love him and worship him in your life? And the difference is between the common and the holy. You know, lots of people admire Jesus. Lots of people, the, the, 
secular society, for the most part, admires the idea of Jesus and who he was, that he, you know, he was forgiving and he taught about forgiveness. He taught us to love each other, to love our neighbors, ourselves, to be a good person. There's things about Jesus that people that don't have any relationship with him can still admire him until it becomes inconvenient. Until it's, you say, well, actually though, you can't just admire what he does. You actually have to like give your life to him. You have to repent of your sins and live for him and not for yourself. All of a sudden now, the admiration is not there anymore. And now Jesus is different in the eyes of people. But even for us, even if, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, we can, we can fall into the trap of admiring Jesus more than we adore him. Where we admire him for his qualities, we're thankful that he has done things for us. Where we admire the quality of him going to the cross for us. I admire that. I have warm thoughts towards that because it saved my soul. See how you could just admire him even though you don't necessarily have a relationship with him? I can admire the fact that he's been faithful in my life. I can admire things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I have relationship with him. And to be able to adore him, I have to have relationship with him. If I admire him, my solidarity with him fades when it becomes inconvenient. When things are good, I can worship, I can sing, but when things aren't good, that admiration fades. Admiration makes us want to identify with the cultural aspects of Christianity, but few, if any, of the spiritual aspects of Christianity. The cultural ones are the things that make us feel good. The spiritual ones are the ones that where you really gotta lace up your boots and, and get, it, get down and dirty with it. There's a big difference between the adoration and the admiration. If you adore God, Jesus, it's, it's in the confines of a relationship. You know him, you've been through the fire with him, you've experienced his faithfulness, his goodness, you've seen his work in your life, but it's in the, it's in the context of a relationship with him. When we have that, we can actually adore him. We can worship him and love him very deeply. And the fear of the Lord is what takes us from admiration to adoration of Jesus. When we're there, the common things actually become less important. You know, one litmus for you in that is that if, if your relationship with him is really just all about or primarily about what he can do for you, then it's probably more about admiration than it is adoring him. Because when we adore him, we do, we do understand and learn how to distinguish between the common and the holy. It doesn't mean we don't have any desire for the common, but you can distinguish it and you can go towards the holy and reject the common more often than not. So, admiration or adoration? The next distinction between the holy and the common is passion over posture. Passion over posture. In faith, it's all too common for us to use posture. The holy is about passion. Common is posture. Passion is defined as Part of the definition is very strong feelings, but it's so much more than that. Biblically, it's something that you are willing to suffer for, which I love that definition. In passion, there's obviously there's an emotional aspect to it. You think about you know a crime of passion, you always think about somebody just getting so emotional they just couldn't stop themselves, and there's obviously emotion that's attached to passion, but it's, it is so much more than that. What you're really passionate about is actually what you are willing to suffer for. If you're really passionate about that team you love and they're playing a night game 
you're gonna, you're gonna watch that game and you're gonna sacrifice sleep because of how passionate you are for that team. You're gonna let the morning guy worry about that time, right? If you're passionate about it, you're willing to let something else suffer. If you're passionate about your retirement and making sure you have enough set aside for the day you retire, you're willing to suffer today by putting money back and going without so that you can make sure you have what you need for retirement. If you're passionate about it, you're going to make yourself, you're willing to suffer for it today. That's what passion is in life. Posture is more about looking the part of passion on the outside to look like you care about something to save face. So posture is about looking the part to save face. It's really, you know, you're posturing yourself in such a way to, to uh, make sure that, that uh, you're fitting in and nothing bad is happening and you're not ruffling any feathers or you're trying to posture yourself for, for good things by not really being authentic. Posturing is inauthentic. So like if you're, uh, that'd be a person that joins their coworkers on the picket line during a strike, even though they don't really want to, they really just wanna go back to work, but they know they have to do it to save face, they're posturing themselves to make sure they don't lose influence with their coworkers. It's all about saving face. And in faith, we can posture ourselves to look like we're passionate to save face with other Christians. It doesn't take long to be around the church or around other Christians to know how we're supposed to act and what things we're supposed to say and what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. We can figure all that out uh, pretty quickly for posture's sake. And it's not that doing things and saying things that we do and say in, in church and as Christians is a bad thing, but if it's just done because of posture and not passion, it's really a waste of time. It's not distinguishing the holy from the common. And passion is about being willing to suffer and sacrifice whatever we're passionate about. And sometimes we think we're passionate, but it's really just emotions in the moment. Um, in fact, what often starts off as genuine in our life and in our faith can often turn into something that we just posture. When the emotions, if, if the passion we have is really just all about the emotions and not really about the suffering or willing to suffer, then when that emotion fades or ebbs and flows, we can find ourselves posturing and not really being incredibly passionate about what we thought we were passionate about. And the fear of the Lord is what sustains us during those times, church. When we honor God and revere him and focus on who he is and walk in the fear of the Lord, he gives us that extra push we need during those times when the emotions aren't backing up what we're actually passionate about in our life. You know, uh, there's some exciting things happening here at the church among our young people, our kids, our youth, and even our young adults where we're seeing, uh, we're seeing people that are, getting excited about serving Jesus and reading their Bible and praying and, and, uh, and getting baptized and we're seeing people get saved. I mean, we, we've had some exciting times that we talk about frequently uh, during the week and it's really great. And man, it's just, it's fun to kind of ride that and just enjoy it. And we're just thankful to God for what he's doing. And you know, I'd like to be able to stand up here and talk to all of those young people that are, that are excited about Jesus and tell them that it's just gonna be like this forever. You know, you're just gonna just ride it and it's gonna be great and it's, you're just gonna keep climbing and the way you feel and how serving God right now is easy and it's, it's, it's kind of fun to read your Bible and it's fun to do the, the Christian stuff and to pray even and you've even maybe fasted and done some things and you're just, you're just excited about God. But unfortunately, that's not how it is every day. And those of us that have been walking out this faith for a long time can attest to that, that there are tough times in our faith. There are times that it's gonna be tough to 
to, and you're gonna have to make the choice not to posture, but to actually continue with your passion. Where you can lose, where it doesn't feel like it felt before, so the, the tendency can be to just kind of posture yourself, like, well, I've done this in the past, and it kind of works, and people like it when I do this, so I'm just gonna keep doing this. And we can posture in such a way that we're not actually believing or feeling what we're posturing ourselves to do, but we keep doing it because we're trying to save face. You know, it's so easy to get distracted in our faith, isn't it? I mean, it is so easy, and you can find yourself posturing so quickly that it can take you completely by surprise. I mean, I, I, I deal with it, I think we all deal with it on some level. I mean, I can be down here in the front row worshiping during worship at the beginning of service, and I'm lifting my hands, and I'm worshiping, and the next thing I know, my hands are up and my eyes are closed, but I'm thinking about the fact that I need to remind Noah to take the trash out tonight. And that's not worship. It's just so easy to get distracted, and that's in a moment, but man, that can become something that can be a lifestyle for us. Well, we've gotten distracted away from the things of God in our life, but we still know how to play the game. And so we can fool people in our life and let them think that we really are continuing to distinguish the holy when really it's just become common and we're just posturing our life to save face. And the fear of the Lord is what helps us in that. It helps to sustain us in those times, if we understand and we pursue the, the, the fear of the Lord in our life, we can create habits in our life of honoring him and worshiping him when things are good to make sure that we can continue to worship him when things aren't so great. We worship him when things are good, but here's the deal. Here's what we have to understand. It's not just about worshiping for him for what he's done for us. That is a part of worship. That is a very integral part of worship to worship him for what he has done, but it can't just be about what he's done. See, we also worship him for who he is. In fact, that's actually more important, to worship him for who he is than what he's done. Because if we just worship him for what he's done, and we're worshiping, we're thinking, and we're just, even when we pray, we're just thanking God, God, thank you for restoring my marriage. God, thank you for providing a job for me. God, thank you for uh, providing when I didn't have enough. Thank you for healing my mom. Thank you for all these things you've done in my life. You're just thanking him for those things. And again, very important to thank him for those. But if that's all we're doing, and we're not focusing on thanking him for just who he is, and focusing on his glory and on his majesty and standing in awe of him and revering him and, and, and picturing him and seeing him for who he is and how he is the king of the universe and he is above all, he's greater than all, his ways are higher than mine and that, that I am so small and you are so great and all of the, the things about who he is. If we're not doing that as well, then when times get tough, we can easily get into a place of just posturing because now we're kind of frustrated because he's not doing things now that I want him to do. If we just worship him for what he's done, then it's gonna, it's gonna be a challenge to not stop worshiping him for what he hasn't done. It's got to be about who he is. It's about how holy he is. I mean, it is a great prayer to just declare the holiness of God. It is a great act of worship to say, God, you are holy. You are holy, you are above all, you are better than all, you're faithful, you're good, you're true. Like not even focusing on what he's done for you, but just on who he is. That is what stirs us, that is what sustains us. That's why the people that, that you see go through the worst things they could possibly go through that can continue to worship, I promise you they understand the idea of worshiping him for who he is, not just for what he does. And that's gotta be a priority in our life too. So we distinguish between 
the passion and the posture. Okay, third and finally, we, distinction, we make a distinction between the, the uh, commitment over convenience. Commitment over convenience. The common approach to our faith would be convenience. The holy approach would be commitment. And man, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for me. Because we, you know, we live in a convenience-obsessed society. And if I'm fully transparent, I can be convenience-obsessed myself. Uh, not trying to take the easiest route, but just, I just really like efficiency. It's kind of the way I'm wired. The personality tests, I always, efficiency is a big deal to me. Um, some, uh, sometimes I like it, sometimes I hate it. <laughs> but uh, I do like things to be efficient. I like microwaves. It's quicker. Why use an oven when I can use a microwave, right? Uh, I like drive throughs I like next day shipping. Uh, I like, uh, I love the convenience of a cell phone and how I can call and text and I've always got it on me and I can Google stuff and I can do the things I need to do. I love the fact that my banking apps are on my cell phone and I don't have to go to a bank anymore. It saves me so much time. I love the fact that the, the 25 thermostats in this building are on an app on my phone so I don't have to walk the whole building to turn everything off. It's wonderful. I love convenience and efficiency. But I am also very, very careful and intentional to make sure that that does not bleed over into my approach to my faith that I don't approach my faith from a place of convenience because that's, the, that's what's common. That's what is unspiritual in many ways where it's just about convenience. It's just about efficiency. It's just about what's gonna be best for me and how I'm gonna be able to get more done and get, get done quicker and have everything I need rather than focusing on our commitment to God. It's a challenge for us. It's actually a very big challenge for us and I've been doing this faith long enough to know that in my life, that if I feel like my faith is easy or I haven't been challenged in my, my faith, I haven't been challenged in my commitment, that that's actually a red flag for me when I realize that. And that it's, it's something that makes me take notice in my own life when I haven't had uh, a, a challenge to my commitment to God recently because it typically tells me that I'm focused more on the convenience than I am on my commitment. Because when we focus on convenience, what it'll do is it'll numb you. It'll cause you to turn a blind eye to some of the things that your commitment to God would necessitate. It'll cause you to overlook things that, that, that your relationship with Jesus will encourage you to want to do. For instance, if it occurs to me that I haven't been generous in a while to somebody, that's a red flag to me. If I have not given something to someone, whether it's given money to someone in need, whether it's taking someone out for a meal and paying for their meal, uh, whether it's giving of my time or giving of a skill that I might have to be able to help a situation, if I have not been generous in a while, that is a huge red flag to me. Okay, I'm focused too much on convenience because there's always opportunities to be generous. So if I'm not doing it, I'm focused on convenience because being generous is inconvenient, usually. I mean, unless you're just pulling out five bucks out of your wallet to give it to somebody. But to really be generous, to say, you know what, I'm gonna help you with this, is inconvenient. But it's part of our commitment to God. So if I haven't been practicing generosity in my life, well, then I know I'm focused on my convenience more than my commitment. If I realize that I haven't fasted in a while, then I'm probably more focused on my convenience than I am on my commitment. Not that we have to fast all the time, but my Bible is pretty clear that we are called to fast as followers of Jesus. 
And I've done it enough to know that it is a blessing, but my goodness, is it inconvenient. Stomach growling is very inconvenient for me. I don't love it. I like to eat. And so if I'm not, if, if I think, man, I haven't done that in a while, I, I can immediately, I can recognize that in my life that I'm more focused on convenience than I am on commitment. Because our faith lived out in the fear of the Lord will consistently confront our self-centered, convenience-obsessed nature. Living in the fear of the Lord will confront that in our life. See, if you just focus on how much God loves you, that's, that's the 100% of your focus and your relationship with him. Well, he just loves me. It's not, I don't have to be generous. He loves me. It's fine. He'll forgive me if I'm not. Like there's, there's, no, there's no conviction there. There's no pushing. There's no uh, prompting us to do anymore. But man, when you're focused on his holiness and how amazing he is and that he still loves me even though he's that holy and how good he's been to me and how amazing he is, that is what, that is what keeps us aware of what God would be calling us to do. That we could live out what Peter said in my text verse, that we would live holy lives. It has to be in the fear of the Lord. Because a focus on commitment will highlight, it'll draw me to difficult things in the faith. It'll actually pull me towards those things that are inconvenient. To love your neighbor as yourself, that's inconvenient. Denying my flesh is definitely inconvenient. Praying and reading my Bible consistently and being in the word consistently is inconvenient and it is okay to say that. Sometimes it's fun and it's a blast and I can't wait. Other times it's, it's more of a commitment than it is a convenience. And that's okay. But to, be, but to be dedicated to it requires that we have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord will deepen our commitment to God and get us away from the convenience mindset. And when you talk about commitment, you have to talk about Abraham. All the way back in Genesis, you know, the story of Abraham where he, he was told he was gonna have a son. He finally had his son that was gonna be the heir and he was gonna be a father of a nation. And he loved his son so much and God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. And it says that he got up the next day and he walked, it was a three day journey to get to where he was going to sacrifice. He had three days to think about this, think about that. And he went, he tied up his son, lifted his knife to kill him and the angel appears and says, stop, stop. And this is what he says, Genesis twenty-two twelve. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He says, now I know that you fear God. Then that's not being afraid of God. That's the fear of the Lord. He says, now I know that you have the fear of the Lord. Why does he know now? Because of church attendance? Because of uh, giving all his money away? Doing some religious thing, church thing? No. He knew now that he fears God because of his commitment. He was willing to do something, the most inconvenient thing that any human could ever think of, sacrificing his own son because of his commitment. God says, basically, I gave you the son you wanted your whole life, and I basically threatened to take him away from you, and it did not change your commitment to me. Now I know you have the fear of the Lord because he was able to distinguish the common from the holy and he feared the Lord, and God blessed him for it. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna pray for you this morning. Before I do, I wanna read one more verse to you. 
out of Psalm 34. It's actually a beautiful psalm. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Now, it says there that the fear of the Lord, those, those people that have the fear of the Lord will lack nothing. It doesn't mean you're gonna get everything you want if you have the fear of the Lord. Doesn't, when he says you're not gonna lack anything, it's not like, if you, have, if you, fear, if you live to honor me, I wanna make sure you got everything you need. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is that he's gonna change you. He's gonna transform you more into his image so that you can distinguish the common from the holy. So that your heart will actually be more for the things that are holy than for the common. Not that I'm gonna give you everything you could ever want, but that I'm going to cause you to want the holy. You know, Bible also says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's gonna give you everything your heart desires. It means he's actually gonna give you desires to put in your heart so that you desire the things of God. That's what the fear of the Lord does for us. That's what living to honor him and to live in awe of him and worshiping him and, and putting him first and his, his, his uh, thoughts for us, his plan for us, his will, that it would be about his will, not our own. And it's, it's a challenge for us because we live in these fleshly bodies that just constantly want their own way but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And when we fail, he's so good to just help us, or forgive us and help get us back on track every time. So I wanna pray for you this morning. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads as we pray. And just let the Lord minister to your heart. God, we do thank you today that we can come to you and know that you hear us. We know that you are here, that you are present in this place. And God, we know that you are holy we know that you are awesome and we stand in awe of you today. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our thoughts. You're worthy of our actions. You're worthy of our words. You are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our passion and you are worthy of our commitment. Help us, Lord, to distinguish the common from the holy. We thank you, Lord. You are good. We thank you for your forgiveness where we mess up, Lord. Your word tells us when we come to you and we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So Lord, would you do that today? God, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone listening online that does not know you, that they would make that decision today to put their lives in your hands, to not live for themselves anymore, just like those that got baptized today that made the decision to not live for themselves anymore, but to live for you and to, to know and understand that we are sinners in need of a savior, that we have to repent from our sins and turn from those sins, turn from our wicked ways and live for you. You are worth it, Lord. We thank you. We love you today and we bless your holy, precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Praise God. God bless you guys.